Well, I've chosen Psalm 88 this morning for our text of Scripture. But before I get there, before we read it together, I'd like to just go through some preliminary points about the psalm, Psalm 88, the psalms in general. As you read the psalms, I, I love the psalms. I've been taking a, an interest lately in them. They are such a, a rich treasure mine of, of God's truth. There's so much to be mined out of the psalms about God, about his people, about us. And you'll notice that there are several kinds of psalms in the book of Psalms, and they express different emotions of the writers, different feelings, circumstances, life experience of each writer. The book was primarily used as the temple worship book in the kingdom period, and it stands as the longest, most quoted, most diverse book of the Old Testament. The common, common theme of the Psalms is worship, certainly. The, in, in the Psalms we find that God is shown to be and extolled to be worthy of all praise because of who he is in his nature, in his character. All that he has done for the people of Israel and his, his people. And what he will do. His goodness extends through all time and eternity. The Psalms present a very personal response to the person and work of God as they reflect on his plan for his people. Many of the Psalms review the word of God and the attributes of God, especially during difficult times. This should produce in us really a a kind of faith that produces strong confidence in the power in spite, the power of God in spite of our circumstances. There are basically three types of psalms, psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, and psalms of praise. And lament psalms, which we'll be looking at tonight, a lament psalm, uh, today's a lament psalm is in, found in Psalm 88. Um, he... Uh, Lament psalms can be laments of the nation and also of individuals. Individual lament psalms typically were directly addressed to God. These psalms request, uh, request him to rescue and defend his people or a person, individual. So this morning we're going to take a look into a lament psalm of an individual named Haman, Psalm 88. The heading in my Bible describes this psalm as a song for the choir director, Haman. And according to 1 Chronicles 15:16, Haman was a Levite song leader in Israel. And the vast majority of occurrences of the word psalm focuses on praising the Lord. Psalm 88 is what's known as a masquil, a poem set to music which causes consideration or gives insight. And certainly this morning, my hope, and I think you will find that, is certainly an insightful psalm. 
The psalmist is Haman, a Levite, appointed under David as one of the leaders of the temple singing. So let's read together. Follow along as I read Psalm 88, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned, reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. And they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Selah. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Your faith in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. It's a heavy psalm, isn't it? Uh, kind of gloomy. Come to church, you want some something, you know, from a hard week. But this psalm, at first glance, does not deliver that at all. When we think of the psalms, we normally associate with them, them with joy and praise, but this psalm offers neither one. So the question is, for you and for me today, is there any hope to be found in this psalm? This psalm ends like the beginning of a popular song from the 1960s by Simon and Garfunkel, The Sounds of Silence. Some of you are, who are old enough may remember, it begins like this. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Or it ends like a depressing Ernest Hemingway novel. Have you ever been in a place that Psalm 88 describes. And I'm not talking about 
Every single verse has applied to you, is applied to you, but anywhere in there, have you ever been in a place where Haman finds himself? In a dark place. Well, most psalms of lament have five segments. One is an introduction, usually a cry to God. We've seen that. The the lament, number two. The third part is a confession of trust in God. Number four, a request by the psalmist or the lamenter. And then the last one, a declaration or vow of praise. And you see those most the time, most of the time in the Psalms of lament. But there is no declaration of praise in this Psalm. In verse 18, the Psalm ends with the word darkness. And if you look at your Bible, the word in is an added word. So the reading would go like this. My acquaintances are darkness. Well, the Puritans call this experience the dark night of the soul. And James Montgomery Boyce defines it this way. Quote, the dark night of the soul is a state of intense spiritual anguish or turmoil in which the struggling, despairing believer feels he is abandoned by God. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought Christians were supposed to be always happy and joyful. Well, that's not the case at all, as we see in the psalm. And I think you'll also admit in your own heart sometimes that's not the case. Derek Kidner says, this is the saddest prayer in the Psalter. Another writer says, it is the gloomiest psalm found in the scriptures, adding, the psalmist is is as deeply in trouble when he has concluded his prayer as when he has began it. Another writer, J.J. Stewart Peroni, says, this is the darkest, saddest psalm in all the Psalter. It is one wail of sorrow from beginning to end. C.H. Spurgeon said, I think that this is the darkest of all psalms. It has hardly a spot of light in it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever expressed and experienced what the Puritans called the dark night of the soul? I believe at times we are dishonest with ourselves. We're dishonest with our own thoughts and feelings. We or I can, can be brokenhearted at times and, and just deny it. Just shrug it off. Just shake it off, you know. Or just simply dismiss it. It's nothing. I'll get over it. I'll get beyond it. Well, God, you know, I don't think God really expects us to do that all the time. I mean, we don't want to be blubbering fools or cry about everything, but I don't think he expects us to always just shake it off, throw it off. You know how it goes. You, you, uh, somebody comes up to you or you go up to somebody and they say, hey, how's it going? How you doing? How things, how things going in your life today? Ah, things are going good all right. And you know, deep down inside, that is so far from the truth. It's an outright lie, really. But we do it. We do it. We hide it. We shake it off. We shrug it off. And we never really face it. 
Been there, done that, right? One of the realities you see in the Psalms is that the psalmists are incredibly honest writers. I mean, they are in your face honest. If you really read the Psalms closely at what they have to say, we saw that in the Psalm I just read. Why am I in despair? He's honest, truthful. One of my, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. See, the Psalms help us to just take a real look into our heart and the nitty-gritty of life. The psalmists were raw and honest about what was on their heart and on their mind. Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3. Asaph says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But look what he says right here, next thing. This has been read for thousands of years, right? Asaph is not afraid of that. He's not ashamed of his emotion, of his heart, the reality of what goes on in his mind. He says this, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. But this is what I like right here. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant. He was envious. He admitted it. This raw, honest truth, he was envious as he saw the prosperity of the wicked. Well, as we have seen so far in Psalm 88, uh, Psalm 88 is about a person with intense spiritual, physical, and emotional troubles. And maybe you are here today experiencing some of those same realities in your life. Since the Psalms are for praise and worship of God, it makes one wonder what this is doing in the songbook of God, since it's so dark. While it certainly wasn't a mistake, God inspired this psalm and put it in his book. At first glance, you might say, well, why read it? It's so depressing. I don't want to read that. You know, I live in a, in a world that's depressing alone as it is. I don't need more. But I think it is a good book to read. I think we should read it often. Against Charles Haddon Spurgeon answered the question this way from his book, Spurgeon's Verse Expositions of the Bible. And by the way, it's free online. You can look it up. You can buy it on Kindle. You can buy it in hardback, whatever. It's available. I, I recommend that you read Spurgeon. He says this. Why should we read Psalm 88? He says this because it may, it may be there is some poor heart here that is very heavy. You cannot tell out of this great crowd how many sorrowing and burdened spirits there may be amongst us. But there may be a dozen or two of persons who are driven almost to despair. My dear friend, if this is your case, I want you to know that somebody else has been just where you are. Remember how the shipwrecked man upon the lonely island all of a sudden came upon the footprints of another human being. So here, on the lone island of despondency, 
you shall be able to trace the footprints of another who has been there before you. Boy, Spurgeon, he could, he could word it. Sometimes we do need more gloom and doom to drive us to a closer walk with God. But can Haman's despair be used in worship or praise to God? Can your despair be used to worship God and praise him? Darkness of soul can be worshiped because it can be prayed to God. What do you do with your troubles? Well, the Psalms instruct us what to do with our problems. Haman shows us that we can pray our problems to God. Hymn writer Joseph M. Scriven in 1855 penned the classic, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. How many of you have sung that hymn or know that hymn? Several. Several. It goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, it's familiar to many of us. All of our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, in Psalm 88, Amen is praying his troubles to God. The psalm is an example of a persevering prayer in the middle of hardship and despair. So really it is a, a psalm of a, of a prayer of a man who is in deep, deep trouble. This is a psalm of a prayer from a man in need of wisdom and instruction from God. I have to admit, when it comes to prayer, I, I don't pray enough. I think most people, if you ask them, would say, yeah, you know, I, I could work on that. I, I don't think anybody ever says, yeah, man, I pray too much. You know, I, man, I'm just tapped out. I, I, I'm so, I've just lost all my energy. I pray so much. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I never have. I, I go the other way. I have to pray more. I, I, I admit that. I, I think it's probably a struggle for many of us that we don't pray enough. There is improvement in my life for prayer. Well, as we look into the life of Naaman, we will see that trials of life are meant to sanctify us and trials are given to draw us closer to God, not further away. And one of the ways we get closer to God is in our, in our prayer room. James 1, 1 through 5 teaches us that when we fall into trials, we are to pray for wisdom from God and that God helps those who ask. And then in James 1, we also notice that James says, when we fall into trials, not if. See, trials are just a part of life. Job 5, 7, and 8 says it this way, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God and I would place my cause before God. So James is, uh, is part of Job's thinking before James was ever written. So let's take a look into the life of the psalmist Naaman. As we move through this psalm, we will see that Naaman 
has many troubles and is very unclear, much unclear thinking about life and God. His vision is certainly clouded by his life experience at this time. While in 88 verse 1, he says, O Lord, God of my salvation, and this and only this is the bright spot of the psalm. The rest is on a roller coaster downhill into a wall. In this psalm, we begin with the light and it ends in darkness. Many psalms begin gloomy and end up joyful, but not this one. If, if it were like other psalms, verse 1 and verse 18 would be flipped. Right? He would start in this utter darkness and end with, oh God of my salvation. But God has not inspired it that way. So we're going to go with what God inspired. Um, in the book of Job, at least, there is a good ending, but not here. And taken by itself, it does not end well. How are you feeling so far? Are you up? Your spirit being lifted? Is this helpful to your soul? Well, I think there is good news because I think the key to reading such a gloomy psalm like this one is not to read it in isolation. Very important detail. Don't keep this psalm by itself. For example, you look at the ahead to Psalm 89 on your page. Right out, right out of the gate, it's all kinds of praise to God, right? What a glorious truth. It too is a masculine, a poem that gives insight, insight. And as I was reading Psalm 89, I was thinking, you know, reading 88 and into 89, I thought, man, I wonder if, uh, if uh, the psalmist Ethan was able to help Naaman out of his gloom, because he too was a psalmist. And so maybe... We'll never know, right, until we get to heaven. So we see that uh, he addresses God as the God of his salvation. So he's a, he's a saved man. I believe he is saved. He knows God. And also in verses 1 and 2, he is a praying man. Prayer has been and is a big part of his life as you read down through the psalm. Hear how he prays. He says, I have cried out by day. And in the night before you, day and night. So we see right here that his prayer is continuous. He's using great wisdom as he goes through his hard days. He says, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And this idea of inclining your ear carries with it the idea that he is asking God to stoop down from heaven and just listen. Hear me, God, please. This idea of crying out and begging God to listen. In his grief, Haman keeps the lines of communication open to God day and night with tears. If you see in verses 9 and 13, he says, my eye has wasted away because of affliction. That's implying, I believe, a intense weeping. He says, I have called upon you Every day, O oh Lord, you see that he's persistent in his prayer. 
I have spread out my hands to you. Then in verse 13, But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. So you see here that he is a praying man. He is praying in the morning, day and night. He does not let up. I want to ask you another question. When we pray, when you pray, when I pray, how often do we think or say, eh, I prayed. It's no use. God's, God's not going to listen. He's not going to answer that prayer. Well, he hasn't so far, so I prayed. He knows. He knows. We are not to pray like that. We ought to be persistent in our praying. Never give up. When troubles come, pray like Haman. In the morning, day, and night. Well, as we move down through here, Haman gives a list of reasons for his present suffering in verses 3 through 9. We see there's multiple troubles. For my soul has had enough troubles. He talks about being near to death, 3 and 4. And my life has drawn near Sheol, he says. He feels like a walking dead man. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength. He sees himself as forsaken by people and forgotten by God. He says he's forsaken among the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. They are cut off from your hand. So we see in this section that he has multiplied troubles near to death. He has suffering from physical exhaustion. And he sees himself as forsaken by people and forgotten by God. Forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. So we see Naaman as a man who is troubled, he has sort of this internal deadness or numbness. He is physically drained from various problems. And he sees himself as forsaken by people, forgotten by God. I think by today's standards, we would label him as depressed. He is certainly depressed. Have you ever felt this way or any of these ways in your life? Well, as we look out around us, what's happening, it can certainly be easy to sink into a dark night of the soul. We've got COVID and we've got violence and politics and corruption. And, and the list just seems to be endless as you turn on the network news. Well, again, quoting from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a man who was greatly used by God who suffered from depression much of his life. He was a a man who suffered this, he, one, at one time in his ministry, while he was preaching, some pranksters in his, within the congregation yelled fire during a, a sermon. Spurgeon preached before several thousand people, and as the, as it was yelled, many people perished as a result of the panic, stampeded to death. 
Spurgeon had numerous health problems in his life, so he was a man who was afflicted with depression. You read his history, you read his story, you'll see that. And at the end of his life, he was even uh, abandoned by faithful men who thought he was, thought he, he thought they were his friends in ministry. If you want to read about that, read the downgrade controversy about Charles Spurgeon. It basically killed him. Sad thing. But Spurgeon comments on verse 5. He says this, out of the treasury of David, another a great treasure, a great tool, if you want to look for that online, that also is free. But he says this on verse 5. So did Haman sigh out his soul in the loneliest sorrow, feeling as if even God himself had quite forgotten him. How low the spirits of good and brave men will sometimes sink. Under the influence of certain disorders, everything will appear somber, with a somber aspect, and the heart will dive into the profoundest deeps of misery. He goes on, he says, It is all very well for those who are in robust health and full of spirits to blame those whose lives are sickly or with the pale east of melancholy, but the evil is as real as a gaping wound, and all the more hard to bear because it lies so much in the region of the soul that the inexperienced, it, to the inexperienced, it appears to be a mere matter of fancy and diseased imagination. Reader, Never ridicule the nervous. Their pain is real. Though much of the evil lies in the imagination, it is not imaginary. Spurgeon lived it. He preached it. Very moving words, if you know Spurgeon's history. So I ask you, if you are in robust health and full of spirits, as Spurgeon said, this never affects you. You're always up. And, you know, some people like that. They just feel like the, uh, the, the bunny, you know, the uh, Energizer bunny. They just keep on going. Nothing ever shakes them. Never, nothing ever stops them. And we need people like that in life. We need people like that in the church. But if you're like that today, as Spurgeon said, don't ridicule or blame those who aren't. Instead, Get alongside them. Minister to them. Help them. Help people who are in trouble. We see this idea, verse, verse uh, 14 of chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul writes to the church, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. And if you're one of those people who are always up and you're always good, everything's good to go, you know, you're high energy and life is always, the glass is always half full for you, I, I, would, I would just recommend something. If you do go to try to help somebody in a hard day, in a dark moment of the soul, try to stay away from, well, at least it's not, you know, hey, I wrecked my car today, man, I got in an accident and well, at least you didn't get killed, you know. That's not helpful to most people when you try to counsel and help people. You want to offer 
some hope. You want to lift them out of the 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 downtime. So Haman turns to God in his lament, and he turns to into the lament turns into accusation. And I believe it's because his thinking is clouded by his misery, as if somehow God is unjust. And we know Paul asked the question, is there any injustice with God in Romans 9? And he says, we say, there is no injustice with God. Is there? May it never be. So how do you handle your trouble? Do you bring it to God first? And do we have a correct perspective on our troubles? What are we filtering our problems through? If all I do is focus on my problems, then I will only have problems, and they will get worse. Well, let's look. Let's go further through the psalm here and be, get a little bit more detail. See, our discouragement should be an avenue to prayer. It should be an avenue to praise as we recognize God's availability and listening ear and instruction out of His Word. And uh, in Second. Corinthians 10.36, we are called really to filter our thoughts through all of Scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons are war of warfare are not of the flesh, but uh, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 4, 6-9, familiar passage. Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, but to bring everything to God in prayer, and we are to think on whatever is true. We are to dwell on these things. The one thing that Haman suffered from was anxiety. He was anxious an anxious man, and needed to filter his thinking. You know, no one, no one speaks to you more than you do during the day. We are continuously talking to ourselves. Continuously. There is something going on in our mind. But the problem is, that comes, is when I listen to myself. That's where the problem happens. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves, as Terry mentioned last week. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So how do we get out of this, this faulty talk that goes through us all the time? Well, we need to realize and understand that hope is found in three areas. The first one is hope is in, found in God's holy character. All his ways are perfect. All his ways are true. And as, as we reflect on that truth alone, that should jolt us out of the doldrums. The second place that we can find hope is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third place is hope in God's provisions. What are these provisions? Well, one is the word of God. Psalm 19, 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, 
rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Number two in this provision list is the Holy Spirit. He strengthens and comforts us. John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or comforter, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be with you. What a great hope to know that the Spirit of God lives within us as our comforter. The third one is prayer. Prayer. In John 1 John 5, 14, 15, John writes that we have confidence before God and we ask anything according to his will, he will do it and he hears us. The fourth thing we have in this provision from God is we have the church, the body of Christ with people who can give solid biblical counsel. So if you are in a dark night of the soul today, know this, there is hope available. There is. So let's continue on in Psalm 88, verse 6. Much of what I believe, much of what Naaman believed was, as Spurgeon said, in his own imagination. It just simply, it just simply some of his statements just simply were not true. They just simply are not true. And so let's continue on in verse 6. He sees himself as being confined in a dark place. He says he feels like he's buried alive. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depths. In verse 7 and 17, he says, Your wrath has rested upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. Haman uses the imagery of, of I think, an ocean storm with waves pounding away on him, one after another, after another, to describe one trouble after another, leaving him utterly helpless and drowning. He feels like he's drowning in his problems. Verse 8, he sees himself as being abandoned by friends. You have removed my acquaintances far from me, you have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. How would you like to feel that? Huh? Abandoned, loathsome. Have you ever felt loathsome? And confined, confined and shut up so you cannot go out. Look at verse 9. He is physically exalted from his weeping. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. It's as if he's saying to God, yeah, you know, this is, this is you, God. This is all on you. You're doing this to me. If you would just do something to get me out of this mess that I'm in. I have so many troubles. I have so many problems. And you won't help me. You're doing this to me. Verses 9 through 12, we see Haman continues his request for help. In verse 9, we see his continual prayer to God for help. Naaman is a faithful man of prayer. He is in the right place. He says, I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hand to you. And notice how Haman continues calling out to God. 
He just continues and continues and continues. And as we move through here, 10 to 12, Haman asks questions, hoping that the Lord will show him some grace to, and deliver him from his present distresses. As a choir master, Haman's passion would, be, would have been to lead God's people to praise him in song and worship. And many of the Psalms remind us of the, the wonders of God. They teach us about how and why we are to praise God and they teach us about God's attributes, his power, how he is our shepherd who leads us to the still waters and green pastures. He is our fortress. He is our rock, our strong tower, our savior, our king, etc. The list goes on and on. And I believe part of Haman's motivation here is that he wants to hear God's name be praised with the people of God, and he wants to be part of it. So he asks God a series of questions. Again, you've got to love the psalmist. They're just raw, open, not afraid to admit, to ask hard questions in their writings. So he asks God a series of questions. And understand this, when you have questions for God, He's not intimidated by that. He's not shocked. He's not worried by our questions. He never has to go away and say, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. No, he knows instantaneously the answer. So if you have honest, heartfelt questions for God, feel free to ask him. Pray to them. Pray them to God. Pray them to God in prayer. Pray your questions as Haman did. Notice the questions from Haman. It, it, it almost sounds like he is trying to make a bargain with God. You know, Lord, I'm, I'm leading the people in to praise your name. You've, you've selected me as a, as a choir master uh, in Israel. And uh, if you take my life, then that's not going to happen, right? So you need to keep me out of the grave here. And so in verse 10, he said, ask this, will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Well, the answer to me, for me, I know because I have extra scripture that he didn't have, but I know that uh, right now they won't, but someday in the resurrection they will, right? Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And Naaman continues with his questioning of God in verse 11. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? See, from the perspective of Naaman, death is not a desirable option. He wants to be around from the Psalmist choir master's point of view, he longs to be released, released from his sorrow so that he can continue to praise God here. So he's kind of asking, 
How can he praise? How can I praise the Lord for your faithfulness if I'm counted among the dead? Well, God doesn't answer any of Haman's questions, but we do know how he answered Job. He did answer Job with those questions, those types of questions. In Job 38, 4 through 6, where Job has been asking God some questions. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, tell me if you have understanding. See, Job was going through many trials too, like Haman, similar trials. And so he says, tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? We also know Elijah. We know about Elijah. Elijah had a similar question. Elijah was a prophet and he, he felt alone, right? He felt deserted and he says he felt like he was the only one working for God. And he, he says this, I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away in first Kings nineteen fourteen. In verse eighteen, God says to Elijah, Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. So don't worry, Elijah, I've got this. You're not the only one here. I have seven thousand. And so what God is simply saying in these two places, just trust me. Just trust me. I've got it under control. I've got it all wired. Job, Elijah, and yes, Haman. I've got it all under control. As we continue on, verse 13 through 18, we see an example of a faithful man of constant prayer and commitment to God. He says, But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you, Notice throughout the psalm that he repeatedly goes to God. He doesn't go to others. He doesn't go around grumbling and complaining to Israel. He brings it directly to God. See, prayer builds our faith. The more we pray, the more we depend on God. The more we pray, the more we see God working. The more we see God working, the more encouraged we are to pray more because we want to see God working. That should encourage our soul. Well, Haman raises some good questions and observations, but he has the wrong focus. In his prayer, there's much contemplation going on. He's contemplating about his situation, contemplating about his troubles, his problems. He's contemplating about himself. And I'm not minimizing that. I, I don't. I feel for Haman. I would not want to be in his shoes. I, I feel for the guy. I feel for guys like Joe as you read about their sorrow and their grief. Uh, it's just very difficult to read that sometimes as you try to imagine yourself in their place. You think of your, your own darkest moment, your own most emotional grief that you've had, and you, you just don't want to be there. You just don't. He goes on as he points out his distress over his belief that God has rejected him. He says, O oh Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? 
Is that true? Do you think that was true for Naaman? I don't. I don't believe that Naaman based his conclusion on truth, but on his emotions, which change. Our emotions change so quickly. They must be tempered by truth. He claimed that God was the God of his salvation in verse 1. How could he have believed that God forsook him or turned his face away? He says, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Well, in verse 15, the second thing we see, so the first thing we see, he points out his distress over his belief that God had rejected him. The second thing we see in verse 15, he acknowledges his life of affliction. I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. So this thing had been going on for a long time with Naaman, from his youth on. He had some, some physical problem, I guess. It doesn't really tell us, but he had been battling this for a long time. Haman had been suffering, and he was, this was most likely contributing to his despair. Many of you know pain or have known pain and how it can bring discouragement. Naaman knew. Verse 15, he says, I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Meaning he was perplexed or distracted. Calvin put it this way. He, he worded the verse this way. I have suffered thy terrors by doubting. Interesting concept. He says, I'm frightened. Literally, I'm frightened and perplexed. Can you feel for him? The third thing we see, he admitted, admits that he has been affected by God's anger and he is overwhelmed by it. Verse 16, your burning anger has passed over me. The fourth thing we see in verse 17, he recognizes that God's activity has silenced him. He says, your terrors have, literally the word is silenced. Some of your versions say, destroyed me but your terrors have silenced me, verse 16. They have surrounded me like water all day long, verse 17. They have encompassed me altogether. And so he's liking it to like drowning. He's drowning in his sorrows. He's drowning in his problems. We see that in verse 7 as well. The fifth thing we see, that God has removed his friends. He is alone and probably a very lonely individual at this point in his life. It is a lonely time for Naaman. You have removed lover and friend far from me. He says, my acquaintances are darkness. See, in this psalm, God never answers Naaman's questions, but Naaman had the answers. He did. He had the answers. We see Naaman is a man who perseveres in prayer. Naaman had the answers because he had the other Psalms. He had Psalm 87, 88, 89, and others that talked about God's goodness. He missed it. How could he miss it? How could I miss it? How do I miss it? I have the full scripture and I miss it. So let's not be too hard on Naaman. He missed it. He's a weak man, but yet he was a strong man. So I just want to go over, as we close here, close our time out, 
as I, as I read this psalm, I can't help but think, yeah, Naaman went through some serious troubles. But you know what? Jesus experienced all of what Naaman experienced. All of it. First thing we see that Haman experienced agony. Jesus experienced great agony in Luke twenty-two forty-four. It says, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. That's agony. The second parallel or similar thing we see is Haman felt like he was near death. Jesus experienced great agony to the point of death. It says in Matthew 26, 38, then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. The third thing we see is Haman was forsaken by friends and felt forsaken by God. As he hung on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by friends and forsaken by the Father, suspended off of the earth, distant from heaven. He was in nowhere land, no man's land, nowhere. Space, forsaken by both. Matthew 27, 45 through 46, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Similar to Naaman. Naaman. Haman. The fourth thing we see is Haman experienced darkness of soul. Jesus experienced actual darkness and darkness of soul. Again, Matthew 27, 45, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Haman was faithful in his darkness. Number five, Jesus was faithful and obedient in his darkness. So we see in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, I love this verse, especially where we can consider some of these things about our Savior and what he went through in his great suffering and grief. The writer of Hebrews says this for us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Though, though Psalm 88 ends in darkness, just look at ahead on your page there on Psalm 89, verse 1 and 2. It is a much brighter psalm, right from the very beginning. He says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 147, 3 through 6, he says, he heals the brokenhearted, he binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great 
is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. So one last question for you. Are you afflicted today? Are you experiencing a dark night of the soul? My exhortation to you would be to seek God out. Seek out God. Seek out the provisions that God has given in the church, his word, his spirit. People who can counsel you, help you in dark times and offer you hope. Get the help that God has provided for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of our salvation. You heal the brokenhearted. We thank you that we can sing of your loving kindness forever. You are such a wonderful Savior. We thank you for the writer of Hebrews that tells us we have a high priest who knows all about our problems. We thank you for the Psalm 88 of Naaman who expressed his great grief and sorrow and came to you time after time after time, faithfully seeking your face. Though his vision was clouded, he wanted relief that can only come from you. So we pray that we would take what we have heard this time in our time together and dwell on it, think about it, and apply it to our lives that when we look at our days around us that are in turmoil and have many problems, we would look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, the author and finisher of it all. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.